The views and opinions expressed by guests on Connected do not necessarily reflect those of Side Street Studio Arts. Hey everyone, welcome to Connected, the podcast from Side Street Studio Arts, where we have conversations with members of the arts community. I'm Assistant Director Nick Mataragas, and joining me this week is Patrick Harrington of the Ghostly Podcast, who is uh, actually a friend of mine and I know uh, fairly well, I would say. Um, so let's not hold that against him, that he knows me. But uh, welcome, Patrick. Hey, I don't have a special title like Assistant Director or anything like that. I'm just Pat. <laughs> just Pat. Pat, Pat. Uh, Pat, Pat Harrington. So yep. you're, I guess, claim to fame. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but <laughs> is you are uh, one of the hosts of the ghostly podcast, which uh, could you explain to uh, our listeners what that is? Yeah. So what we do is we talk about ghost stories and we'll take a ghost story and we will dive into its complete history. And then we take it through like a courtroom trial where we debate out every single bit of evidence and we let the listeners decide if it's real or if it's not. Right. That's, you have that like almost like perfectly rehearsed. <laughs> <laughs> I've said it just a million times. So. I know. I think, I think everyone who has a show or a podcast of some sort has that uh, basically their elevator pitch. Yes. That's the word I was looking for. The elevator pitch. Yes. Um like my own personal podcast is um, a completely made up show about complete, completely made up creatures and, and phenomena. Um, I've so been on that show too. You have, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit, but I want to start good, with ghostly good. because obviously this is what you're doing right now. So how did you, uh, how did you, and Rebe obviously Rebecca, uh, Re Rebecca rivers, the other host, um, how did you guys come to the decision to create ghostly? Okay, well, it's been a long journey. Um, we were first on a podcast called Surreal. Uh, mm -hmm. That was that was your pad podcast, or I was on it at least. And ever since that moment, I was like, you know, I, I think I'm not bad at this. and I would like to do this. <laughs> and um, so ever since that moment, we were thinking of ways to do it. And every time we came up with an idea, we would look and there was a thousand other podcasts like it. Like we actually were going to do a Game of Thrones one, but then we realized, no, you did one. <laughs> so we couldn't do that. Uh, and then while driving one day, I was listening to another podcast and they kept saying the word ghostly. And right there, it just kind of clicked in my head. I was going to create a podcast about paranormal stuff. And um, the problem is I'm a skeptic. So how do I fit that into a, a paranormal podcast? And the only way I could think to do that would be to debate with someone. And it just so happened that Rebecca is a big time believer. So maybe as uh, Hickney uh, would say, a true believer. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I, I feel like the listeners are like, who's Hickney? And uh, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too much because <laughs> that's a whole different thing. But uh it is interesting being a skeptic on a paranormal show because 
though there are skeptics that are into the paranormal, I'm not going to say there aren't, you're, you're much more inclined to get listeners or viewers, if it's a visual show, uh, that are believers because it's about the paranormal. So it's it's just more likely. Yeah. Um, and so, but like, I, I know you guys. I love paranormal stories, though. I mean, right. I love talking about spooky things. Right. I love like supernatural creatures and stories like that. But like, I, I'm also like you, I'm a skeptic. So I'm like, none of that stuff exists, but it's cool to, to, to talk about those things and kind of pretend. Um, so what is that like, you know, on a regular basis being kind of in the minority voice for your genre? You know, surprisingly, um, our listeners have adapted well to me. I mean, every once in a while, we'll get an email that says, I'm never willing to believe anything after the debate, which isn't true. Um, we just had an episode about um, near-death experiences. And I have to say, I, I don't have anything that I can say truly it's not real because of this mm-hmm. or something. So I had to lean a little bit more believer in that. But um, for the most part, I, I will always, you know, go uh, the skeptic route. And um, yeah, the listeners actually, they joke around with me and they have been really good to me. That's good. I know you like, obviously we know each other. So when you built this show, we, we talked about uh, the fan base and some some of the reviews early on uh, were negative towards you, even though like, I think you, you as a skeptic are very much, um, you don't go very hard into the paint sometimes. Like you don't like sometimes as a skeptic, you you, you can have kind of an arrogance of like, seriously, are we even talking about this? But you don't do that. You, you give everything a very considered approach. And I think despite that (laughs) a couple of times, you've been like, I don't know (laughs) what they're talking about. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the thing. I'm going to get criticism from both sides. Then I'm going to get skeptics like you that say I'm not a hardcore skeptic and I'm not skeptic enough. And then I'm also going to get people on the believer side that that say I'm not enough of a believer. So it's you know, I, I, I have to accept this and and be okay with it. And I mean. I, we, we've only had a couple of negative reviews based upon that. And it's usually because I um, will tend to go a little bit too hard. You know, I will, I will say something stupid. I mean, if I talk long enough, I'm going to say something stupid. I will probably say so, plenty of stupid stuff during this podcast too. So <laughs> I mean, so I stay love, tuned. <laughs> I love calling you guys out on, on things you say that are just like, what? Um, oh yeah. Like my girl. Yeah, like my girl. Uh, if you if you go back, if anybody's listening and wants to listen to Ghostly Podcast, you'll find out uh, if you go back into the back catalog that eventually the movie My Girl became verboten uh, as a topic. <laughs> <laughs> because we kept getting the facts wrong of, of yeah. the story. So, so, so you, you, it's you and Rebecca most of the time talking about whichever topic, and you've, you guys have had some really fantastic topics um you've covered a lot of chicago because you know obviously you're local to chicago um but sometimes you also get guests on the show and i find it very interesting um the dynamic with guests because you know each guest and you've had most of your guests come on more than once which is which is cool because you know then they become people that the audience gets to know 
but they all have their own kind of personality. And <laughs> I'm just wondering what which guests uh, like get you excited when they come on and which guests are you like, oh, man, really? Well, I mean, there's this one guy named Nick Mataragas that oh, I always God. like to have on the show. Um, and it's always good to have another skeptic. And you're the only other skeptic that's come on the show. So mm -hmm. everyone else is a believer. Um, we've had Bob from Bob After Dark, and he's fantastic all the time because uh, he has a tendency of messing up things. And I like to bring that to his attention every single time. Like we did an episode on on um on easter island or something like that and no we didn't do an episode we did an episode on <laughs> eastland disaster and bob bob mistakenly called it the easter island massacre which is a very different thing uh it is yeah. right for those that don't know the eastland disaster was a a boat that capsized in the chicago river um many years ago <laughs> versus yeah. easter island is where they have the the different heads <laughs> um, yeah and I don't know if there being a massacre there ever. Probably not, but who knows? Uh, yeah, who knows? Somebody knows probably, but I don't. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you've got that kind of interesting dynamic. Uh, I, I always love like anytime I come on, you're kind of you always give me like a like, don't don't be too me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I'm a skeptic and I, I can be very like sharp with my skepticism. I, I get that. But then you get people like um, I always think of your friend Mondo. <laughs> Who's, okay. He's an interesting guest. How does that work? Because he kind of, he doesn't play the middle. He just like flip flops a lot when he's on, it seems like. Well, I mean, if you really pay attention to Mondo, Mondo usually follows Rebecca pretty, pretty much every time. Uh, so whenever, whenever he talks, I will always uh, question what he says. And then me questioning him usually will get him to change his whole response. <laughs> Like we usually rate things from zero to 10 and he will go from a 10 to a zero in a blink of an eye. <laughs> it is kind of an amazing thing. Like it's, you know, especially like right now in our world where, you know, healthy debate turns into basically a screaming match of my side versus yours. Mondo's the person that's genu genuinely influenced by the words coming out of the, the people's mouths on, in both directions. And that's good because he's open-minded, you know? Yeah. That is uh, secretly why we started Ghostly, too, is because we started to notice that there were a lot of people that were arguing and could not agree with the other side or could not even talk to the other side. Mm -hmm. And you get people that unfriend people on Facebook because they disagree with them. Well, I wanted to prove to people that you can have this kind of dynamic where you disagree, but you still are friends. Yeah, I, I think that's something that really works on your show. Like, there's never, especially with you and Rebecca, there's never, like, moments of incivility. It's always, you know, even if you completely disagree with each other, even if you're like, no, you're you're completely wrong on this, you're never mean to each other. You're never rude to each other um, because you know that at the end of the day, you know, it's about having the discussion and it's okay to have a different viewpoint. Yeah. I mean, imagine a world where we could disagree with each other and actually have a conversation about that and gain something from it. I mean, I've learned a lot from her believer point of view. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with it, but I've learned a lot. 
That's fair. I mean, <laughs> that's the thing. That's uh, the beauty of, of looking at other perspectives. Uh, and I think that's what's one of the great things about this show. And I think uh, that's one of the reasons that it's successful. Um, and I kind of want to talk a little bit about that because, you know, uh, as a podcast uh, producer, the percentage of times that your show is going to take off is fairly low. Um, but Ghostly really from the beginning was started chugging along pretty quickly. Was that surprising to you? Yeah, it was really surprising. I mean, I'm used to, you know, podcast with lower numbers and stuff. I mean, I think it's an art form. I, I, we have yet to make money on ghostly. We, mm-hmm. we, I mean, we obviously don't charge for it. It's a podcast and, you know, those that are listening to this podcast. I hope you're not paying for it too. So, um, but I mean, it's one of those kind of things. It's a free media. So there are other ways to make money, but we have not hit that mark at all. So it is a labor of love. And um, I, I was really shocked to actually see that our numbers got as big as they did when they did. I mean, it was three months in. Right. So, what do you think the reason is that the numbers blew up like that? I mean, truthfully, there was a um, there was a platform where you could listen to podcasts. Um, it was called Podcoin, and we just happened to get on there at the right time. We have a a nice logo where people look at it and instantly relate to it, and um, the name. You know, I, I really think those are big factors in in podcast and their success. That's fair. That's fair. And not only have you had a good number of downloads and listeners, but you also have like this very devoted fan following now. Um, what is that like having people that are like, I'm a Pat fan? Oh, it is so weird when we get an email and I reply to them like I would any other email. And uh, they say things like, oh, I'm fangirling right now. <laughs> it's like, why? It's just me. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't get I, that. I've met you. <laughs> yeah, you have. You have. So, um, yeah, it's weird. I don't know. I, I can't fully um, understand, you know, when people say that they binged our episodes or something. I, I don't get it. I wouldn't binge my episodes, but I mean... <laughs> That's me. <laughs> right. No, I, 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 I totally understand that. I would not binge my shows either. That's ooh, way yeah. too much of my own voice, but uh, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I kind of want to take a step back because you mentioned uh, doing some podcasts with me and uh, those were uh, two shows that you've, you've done with me. I think, I think it's only been two. Which are, I think I've done more, actually, if we wanted to get, you know, technical. Sure. Uh, I, I guess I'm only thinking of two, but uh, Surreal, which you mentioned, uh, yeah. and Freak of the Week. Um, yeah. which one episode, and I, I think we should bring this up, one episode was a crossover with Ghostly, uh, <laughs> which, for those of you that don't know, Freak of the Week is actually a show that is completely made up, and it's a parody of supernatural shows, uh, like a call-in show. And so to bring on guests that are from an actual supernatural show like ghostly was kind of a weird combination uh when i pitched that to you what was your thought process like what did you think when i first said that i wanted to do a crossover with you guys well i mean i trust you um well that's that's 
that comes from our improv background. I mean, I have to trust you. That's what mm-hmm. we used to say to each other. I, I've got your back, you know, so I trusted you and I trusted your vision and I always have. So I don't always agree with it, but I always trust it. Um, so yeah, the idea was a little, um, <laughs> was a little funny to me. I, I, I didn't say no. I said yes, right away. Mm-hmm. I was excited to do it. When we started to do it though, I was like, man, I'm just going to come across so bad on this. And I did. <laughs> you really did. <laughs> and I did. Yeah. The host actually called me bad names during it. Was, it, so. it was kind of awesome. Like, but you, you like, didn't like, once you realized that you didn't shy away from it, you definitely like, was like, I'm digging my own grave. I'm going to keep digging. Well, you know? somebody has to play the bad guy sometimes. Right. Uh, we used to do an improv show called Rock'em Sock'em or uh, World War Improv. We did that and mm-hmm. there were teams and there was always one good guy and one bad guy. Sometimes you knew you were the bad guy and you were just going to take the hit. And it's like a wrestling thing. So I was like, okay, if I'm going to go down this hole, I'm going to do it. Right. Uh, and honestly, I think, and I don't know for you, but I know for me, like playing the heel, the bad guy is a lot of fun. It can be. Yeah. I'm usually the nice guy though. So it's, it's kind of a weird dynamic for me. I usually get told that I'm, that I'm too nice, uh, that I need to, you know, be a little bigger or something like that. And that was weird, but, but I took it. (laughs) Well, what's it, it's interesting you say that because obviously in that role, um, like the the persona of ghostly pat on the show turned into kind of the persona that some of the people that like early like early critics of of you as a skeptic on the show kind of envisioned where you're like kind of arrogant yeah. about it which is funny but also talking about playing the nice guy i think you have and this goes back to surreal uh especially season two of surreal when you played the mayor of the town Oh, Big Mac. Um, yeah, where you just <laughs> for those of you that have never listened to it, it's he 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 plays a character that basically he played a just a thousand puns off of the, the guy's name, uh, being Mac. Um, but you <laughs> played a character who seemed nice but was secretly not a good guy, and you did that very well. Was it? How did you? How did you decide to do that? Did you think like, okay, I'm gonna believe that I'm a nice guy, but in reality, I'm not. Or was it like, I know I'm not good, but I'm just good at pretending to be good? Well, what I was given beforehand is that I was going to be the mayor of this small town. Mm -hmm. That's all I was told. Um, So looking at that, I said, well, I'm going to be a typical politician. And uh, I'm going to be a politician that I probably wouldn't agree with and wouldn't wouldn't like. So I, that was easy then. I was able to look at all the things I wouldn't like in a politician and, and play it up. <laughs> and you did. You played it up like you – what I think was crazy because you ha- – you, A, you're one of the only people that um, on an improvised podcast like that where you were given notes like ahead of time. You think you were the only person that had more notes – let alone the notes in front of them, the original notes in front of them uh, versus most of the performers were just like, Oh yeah, I I skimmed it. What? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I had a chance to prepare and I don't Mm -hmm. always get that opportunity when doing improv. So I had a chance to prepare a little something and 
basically what I prepared is little catchphrases that I wanted to use. And it all revolved around, my name was Macklin. So I decided Macklin, there was nothing really to go with. So I started calling myself the Big Mac. And uh, it just went from there. I, <laughs> it, it was pretty easy once I, once I did that. And you literally broke me so many times during that interview. <laughs> I, just the worst was when you said, I'm going to run for the Supreme Court and get elected to the Supreme Court and be called the Big yeah. Mac Supreme. And <laughs> everything in my brain broke when you said that. Well, that was when McDonald's actually had like the Big Mac Grand or something or the Grand Big Mac, mm -hmm. which it was like double the size of the Big Mac. And then they had the Big Mac Mini. <laughs> and I couldn't go mini. You know, you always oh. go big. You don't go small. So it, <laughs> it was just ridiculous. And I think that's that's something that a lot of people don't understand is the difference between like the visual medium and the audio medium. And I think, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, you, you realized you were good at this. Um, what do you think the difference is as a performer working uh, like on stage versus working with a microphone in your face? Well, I mean, I've done improv with you and you probably noticed that physicality is not really my thing. I don't really I, I don't really, you know, go to the improv bar and pour my improv drink and chug that and brush my improv teeth. I don't do all that. Uh, that's just not me. Mm -hmm. So uh, it allows me to come across as much bigger when I'm on audio than it does on, on any kind of physical thing where you see me face to face. When you see me face to face, you realize I'm just a Southside Chicago guy. And uh, I, I look like everybody on the South side and I act like everybody on the South side. So that's, that's pretty much me. I don't think everyone on the South side has a magnificent beard. Uh, well, sometimes it's magnificent. Sometimes it's not. It depends upon what time of day you find. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I do want to, we, we've, we've mentioned improv a few times and I, I want to talk about a little bit about that because um, something I'm curious about is because you, we used to work at the same theater. Um, mm -hmm. You started there just before me, I think. So I don't really know how you got into improv. How did, how did that happen? Well, I, um, you know, it, I, I, I'm a trainer uh, as a job and I, I was actually told that my class was boring. And so that really hit me. I mean, I, I really take these things personal when somebody, when, when I get criticism, which it just means that I, that I will adapt to it. Mm -hmm. So um, me and me and my ex-wife, we were looking for something to do one day and we decided to go check out an improv show and they happened to mention lessons. And I joked that it would be fun to do with my ex-wife. And she, she bought me the class. And what was funny about it is uh, that I was supposed to start in level one. But when I went there, there was no level one. It was <laughs> level two. So they're just like, well, just take level two. You're, you're obviously a funny guy. Go into level two. And throughout the times, I mean, there was like five levels, six. I don't even know how many levels there were. 
But I took those levels several times because it was fun. And I was enjoying, you know, meeting new people and hanging out. So I took these classes several times and I never got to take a level one improv class at that place. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm missing something, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's the the (laughs) improv brushing your teeth, probably. Probably. I missed that. Yeah. Yeah, that was day day three of, of level one was brushing your teeth. (laughs) So you go from taking the classes to doing shows. Um, What was that like, that that transition from learning to performing? Oh, it it was really exciting. Um, You know, there were were not many opportunities for us to actually perform. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, they would do like a open mic kind of thing where you could do some stuff. But you weren't really performing in front of an audience. You were performing in front of other improvisers, which um, performing in front of other improvisers, they're actually jerks. I I just I'm saying that, (laughs) especially, you know, the one that I'm looking at right now, which is you, Nick. Well, I I don't. What do you mean by jerk? Well, you give the worst possible suggestions. Such I remember I remember um, one time I was doing a a game that we were we were playing and it was that we were to do an opera Mm -hmm. and uh we had to do this in a foreign accent and you gave me gaelic Ah! (laughs) of all the of all of the possibilities you chose gaelic and i was like i don't even know what to do uh i mean i've always been a a a big fan of like use whatever suggestion you get and being just adaptable. (laughs) So, (laughs) but that was one I, I, you know, like, unfortunately with improv, you're not supposed to plan out anything, but you kind of do. I mean, you know, if I'm practicing accents, I'm going to practice my German. I'm going to practice my Russian. I'm going to practice my English, you know, but Mm -hmm. you never think to practice a Gaelic and speak in Gaelic. Like we weren't even allowed to speak in English. But also, and I, I was, yeah, I think one of the beautiful things and and I know not everyone agrees with me on this when it comes to improv is the beauty of the disaster of it is, you know, like, oh, I can't do Gaelic. I'm just going to make an accent and it's going to be terrible and weird and not at all Gaelic, but it is what it is. And the audience is going to love that. Yeah. But this happened to be during like a class that we were in. So sure. it was, you know, I was able to fail beautifully and uh, fall on my face. And that was fun. Um, But yeah, you were asking about um, moving forward in there and becoming an actual performer. And like, I was never afraid of performing. Mm -hmm. I'm a trainer. I speak in front of people all the time. I have no problem with that. So, you know, put me in a room with a hundred people like in the audience. And I, I have no fear at all when it comes to that. So um, it was just exciting and I miss being able to be on a stage and be able to look out in an audience and to feel their presence and to, you know, know what's working and to adapt to that. Yeah. I mean, there is, that's a good point. And there really is something beautiful about the energy you can get off of an audience. Absolutely. And, you know, there would be days when, I didn't feel it. I I didn't feel like I was going to perform well. And then you'd get up there in front of that audience and um, 
you know, you would do something and you would, you would hear the immediate reaction mm-hmm. and it would change everything in that blink of an eye. I, I remember watching you once and you were so upset during this that you actually had like one of the best performances I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> everything that you that did, night. you, yeah, you were mad. You were generally mad and it, it helped you perform better. I, 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 I remember that. Um, I also remember just like, it was, I was mad at specific people. Um, yeah. and it was one of those things where I'm like, the anger fueled what I did and it, it was like, I'm going to show you. It was very much like, like a, like, I'm going to show you then what, yeah. what you're missing. Um, <laughs> Uh, it definitely like that's something interesting because like a lot of people don't understand that like as a performer and it's not just the improv it's acting whatever like whatever's going on with you it is going to impact what how you are on stage um whether it's a little bit or a lot yeah but you can choose to let that be a negative thing or a positive thing and for sure you used it for for fuel to take people on their voyage into nick's world and um (laughs) and you know what i definitely thought it was worth the ticket price that night thank you i I appreciate that um when we were performing it at that that place there, there were basically three different shows right there was the family friendly show um, there was the the middle show, which was kind of, you know, it's supposed to be kind of for adults. But like if an adult brought their kid, it was supposed to be OK. And then there was, it was like the, PG-13. Right. 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 Yeah. And then like the, the the late night, which they called the naughty show. Um, and I don't know if you how often you did it, but I used to have to do like the triple on that. Oh, know, yeah, I've done that. Three. Yeah. What what do you what do you think is the the easiest audience type and what do you think is the hardest audience type in that situation? Oh, that's that's a really good question. Um, the easiest audience is the naughty show. Mm-hmm. Going blue is very easy. Um, you know, you just substitute a couple of words with a couple of other words and bring up a couple of actions and it's going to get a laugh no matter if it makes sense or not. <laughs> Usually not. I find that I find that the uh, family show was actually uh, the harder audience. I mean, because so there could be a two year old in the audience and there could be a 12 year old in the audience. Mm. They are not going to relate to the same jokes. So except for poop jokes, which, you know, always sell really well. And I would always resort to in every single show. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I would say that the, that the kids were the hardest to, uh, please, but it was so rewarding when you actually did. I, that's interesting. Cause I think I would go with the middle show. So, but I, I like your reasoning behind why, why the family show was the hardest. I, I, I get that. I think for me, and that's, that's, that's really cool. I think for me is it's the fact that both the the naughty that that a very adult end and then the family show it's about being big you know what i mean yeah whereas that middle show you're playing in the middle of it and you're you're you've got to be a little bit more savvy i think and i think that's where like a lot of people get tripped up is that that middle ground i i mean 
I could see that. I just, to me, it was, it was an easy show because, um, you know, there was a lot of alcohol involved mm-hmm. and these people were usually pretty close to being what I would consider drunk. Yeah. And <laughs> shouting out, you know, pretty much the same suggestions every single night. You kind of knew what to expect. Occasionally you would get, you know, something that was different, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, the middle show was kind of easy to me. How was handling, like, how did you handle and how did, what did you like or dislike about getting those same suggestions over and over again? Um, what I, what I disliked about them is it takes away the whole art of improv. Mm-hmm. improv is that you're making stuff up at the, you know, on the spot at that moment. And, um, you're obviously not. And there were some people in our cast that would, you know, utilize these same suggestions every single time and do the exact same joke every single night. And I always felt that that was, that was not fair to the audience. So I wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, of course there's probably a couple of repeats in there that I'm not aware of, but I tried my best not to follow that same pattern. Uh, I, there was not many things that I liked about it. I would, I would have preferred different suggestions. The Gaelic suggestion would have been fun to do in front of an audience where I, where I can't just say, I don't know what to do, um, (laughs) where I have to actually do something. So it would have been fun. Good. I, I, I see I was being a jerk, but also it would have been fun if that had been an actual audience member. So, so I was right. Um. (laughs) Well, you know, what's funny about improv is that we really agree a lot on our approach to that. Mm -hmm. Like we both kind of like the slow burn and we like to um, build up our characters and build up what, you know, what we're doing to the ultimate end. Um, And a lot of people in improv don't feel that same way. They want the quick, funny laugh that, you know, they're used to. Um, But there's been a couple of scenes that we were both in where we were able to actually, you know, take our time. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. And that's something that the, the, the use of space, like the time space, like allowing things to sit is yeah. something that a lot of improvisers are I don't know if they they don't agree with it or if they're just afraid of having it you know well i mean where we were we were taught to get the laugh as quickly as possible because we didn't have much time we were doing a short form show where we mm-hmm. you know we had to get the funny going right away we had to do our little our little things that we knew were going to get people laughing and um that I mean, that to me is fun, but it's not the same art as taking your time and developing that character and to, you know, to make it like an ultimate punchline at the end. Right. And I think that's you mentioned short form, which uh, for those of you that don't know improv, there are I mean, <laughs> there's technically two different styles one is short form which is short scenes that are like different games versus long yeah. form which is uh, a series of scenes that are all interconnected that lead to somewhere um m- uh, many people believe short form is is about getting to the jokes quickly and long form is about what, what pat was just saying um and i i know i personally am a believer that um it all works for all of it yeah 
definitely. But uh, it, it is a very contentious thing. Um, we did a lot of short form. Uh, is there a a short form game you love and uh, would love to explain to people what that is? And then conversely, is there a long form or a, a short form game that you hate? And well, explain why I know that, that as well. I know both me and you, we both loved song lyrics. That was our <laughs> favorite game, right? No, that was the game that everybody hated. It was song lyrics. And what it was is that you could only speak in song lyrics. Mm-hmm. And once a song was used, it was burned. You could never use it again. So it makes it difficult because, you know, we're talking back and forth and we're we're talking in song lyrics and I'll say a song and that makes you think of that song. So you will instantly think of it. Um, and that gets stuck in your head and you start using those lyrics or you want to. Well, so, also, it's the challenge of this is supposed to be a conversation. And yeah. how do you do that when it never was? Well, yes, uh, I would agree with <laughs> you on that. Um, and then, like, I don't know. I know people struggled with it. I never struggled with song lyrics. I just didn't like it. No, I. Well, you used to make up song lyrics. Exactly. I cheated. <laughs> you cheated at the game. Yeah. Which everybody knew, but nobody would call you out on it for some reason. I don't know why. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, the one I really loved is where you can, um, like emotional genre, I think it was called Mm -hmm. where, where you were able to switch emotions and people would call out emotions to you and, um, you would switch right there for some reason. I'm really good at going from angry to happy. I don't know why. (laughs) Maybe I'm maybe I'm secretly bipolar or something like that, but I'm able to do it like in a snap of a finger. That's interesting. I kind of <laughs> knew you were going to say that uh, that answer, but I didn't know the the explanation for it, which is interesting. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Um, so you haven't been, gosh, you haven't been on an improv stage in a while, huh? So, no, like, not for. I mean, obviously during the pandemic, I right. haven't. And before that, it was, you know, at least a few months. Yeah, because you did. Uh, did you do an improv show with us? I uh, I did do one with you guys for a um, Christmas one, a at holiday v- one. At the VFW. Yeah. Okay. And then I also performed with Night Moose once or twice. Okay, that's right. What, they're friends uh, of ours so. right yeah night moose is another improv group in this in the chicago suburbs um yeah. what do you like what are like what is your 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 what do you boy i'm really struggling to, to put this question together <laughs> um since it's been so like is there is there are there moments that that you remember are they on stage moments off stage moments like what what do you what do you look back on and go, man, that was awesome? I don't know. Uh, you know, that's a that's a hard question to answer because every day it's something different that I mm-hmm. think back about. Uh, and then you know, it's funny because people will um, say that they remembered me in a particular scene and they will describe the scene to me, and I have no <laughs> recollection of that at all. Like I'm like, yeah. are you sure? That doesn't even sound like something I would think of, let alone do. <laughs> Um, but I, yeah, I remember like a lot of it was, you know, the friendship that got built up while we were there. Uh, Mm -hmm. there were a lot of people that I really enjoyed working with. 
And even the people that I didn't love working with, I still looked forward to seeing. Mm-hmm. Well, except for one, but I won't mention that person. So fair enough. There, there was definitely a sense <laughs> of com- camaraderie. Um, it made me think about the fact that like a while back, you posted a video of the show we did years ago. And I was, Oh yeah. You know, I was probably half a year into my journey in improv. So I was so green and I'm watching this video and I'm just like, Oh my God, I am (laughs) the worst improviser on the planet. Earth. (laughs) But everyone starts there, right? Right. No, that is true. Everyone does start there. Um, so the the improv scene in in the suburbs is kind of different um yeah. than than in the city. Do you think that's a good thing, a bad thing? What do you think about that because obviously there's less opportunity out here but there's also I don't know, more of a chance to take risks, I guess. Hmm. Uh I would probably say that yes there is um less chance to do improv in like the suburbs Mm -hmm. and there's more places you could do stuff in but those places are all booked up with the people that are doing it in chicago Mm -hmm. uh so i i mean it's hard to get into the improv scene in chicago itself it is and uh i you know i don't i've never been paid to perform in chicago so never have done improv professionally in chicago well, and um, that what's interesting is that I think most people in the improv scene in Chicago have never been paid to perform improv in Chicago. Yeah, and it's it's really a shame because there's some brilliant people. Mm-hmm. There are, there are. I, I I think some of the shows that both of us have seen have been brilliant, like masters masterpiece improv shows. Oh yeah, and it's it's sad to think that like those people don't really get paid much, if at all. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, unless they are like the marquee act, you know, right. they're they're not going to make any money doing it. And in the suburbs, there there is some opportunity to get paid to do um, comedy. I mean, it, getting paid was never my goal. I never really. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have a nine to five. You know, I make decent money, not great money, but decent money. And uh, I don't really need the money from improv. It was just nice to be recognized. That's fair. I, that that's a valid point. And uh, I know most people do have a nine to five. I, I don't know if everyone that does have the nine to five would want to have to have the nine to five if they could get paid doing the other stuff. But um, it it is an interesting point. And yeah, I don't know I, where do you see the improv scene going from here. I really, I really don't see good things for improv right now. I mean, I think improv is a great tool for those that want to get into acting or Mm -hmm. for those that want to do a podcast. I mean, that's what we, we were originally talking about is podcast. I really believe that improv helped me to become a better, a better podcaster, but I don't necessarily see it in a good place right now. I think, um, you know, there's always going to be like stand-up comedy. There's always going to be like a storytelling and there's always going to be that little bit of in-between. And that's where improv really comes in is that little bit of in-between and it'll, it'll live on. It just, it's, 
it's really struggling right now. Why do you think it's struggling? Um, because they don't pay their artists because they, because there's a lot of uh, sexism in improv. And there's a lot of, um, um, you know, when you, when you work with somebody and you discover that they might be a racist, uh, that is, <laughs> that is, that's very difficult. And then what do you do with that? You know, that's a really, really hard question. Well, and I think that's a good point because I think whether it's in the city, uh, in the suburbs or at the national level, there is kind of a reckoning happening right now with bad behaviors in the improv community. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a lot of where improv goes is the bad behavior because you want to elevate yourself. You want to take whoever you are and turn it up to 10 mm -hmm. and, and doing so is, I mean, these are not nice people, the characters that, you know, that we create. Yeah. I, well, that's a good point. And I think that's uh, sometimes you, we talked about playing the heel before, but like playing the heel and making the audience mad at you or, you know, learn from like, this is not who we want to be versus being that person and getting the audience to cheer for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And both sides feel equally as good to me. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, it's a tough situation. But I mean, if you think of all the characters that you played doing improv, are there mm -hmm. any of them that you would actually want to hang out with me personally? Yeah. Um, yeah, a couple, but they're not the, they're more of the softer characters that I've played. You know, I think that's the other thing, like we talked about being big, but, and I, I also believe that you don't have to be big every time you perform. I think you can play small characters. And I, I think I would hang out with a lot of the small characters I've played. Yeah. I mean, I might want to hang out with the nerdier characters that I've played. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, some of the other characters I, you know, my characters did despicable things. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be around them. That's fair. That's fair. I think, I think I would hang out with David Hickney, uh, you know, eventually. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you might, but I mean, how long do you think you would hang out with David Hickney? You know, five minutes, have a beer, whatever. <laughs> exactly. That's probably it. <laughs> Cause I've actually hung out with David Hickney before. Yeah. What was that like? Yeah, uh, it was, well, that's when when I was the heel on Freak of the Week, so. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Now, you mentioned, and uh, if you don't want to talk about it, that's okay, but you mentioned your 9 to 5, and I kind of want to bring that up because it has it has ties to the arts as well, uh, where you work mm -hmm. right now, correct? Yeah, I guess. So you work for the American Library Association. I do. I work for the ALA. Now, um, you've said this to me before, like that, you're, like your opinion of books and, and libraries and stuff is uh, a little bit different than most people you'd think work, they're working for the ALA. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I really believe in a more digital uh, age. I, I really believe that, you know, I'd rather buy a book on, on my Kindle. Mm -hmm. I don't actually have a Kindle. I don't know why I always say that. It would be like my iPad using the Kindle app. But I'd rather buy a digital book than than buy an actual physical book. Mm -hmm. And um, I I really 
you know, when I first started at the American Library Association, I struggled to find the relevance in, in libraries because it was like, if we can buy all of our books digitally, why are we going to this place? But over the last year, year and a half, I, I've really learned a lot about libraries and learned that they are more than just the books that are on the shelves. Uh, a librarian is a very interesting kind of person. They, they have so much knowledge that you like you wouldn't even realize that that these are the people that archive things. These are the people that um, that categorize things. And, you know, they're very, very interesting people and they're very passionate about what they do. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's an amazing thing about libraries they are not you mentioned they're not just about the books or the resources there they're also you know a, a keystone in the, in their communities you know they have absolutely they provide programming they do all these things and it's funny you talk about the digital age and libraries because like mentioning buying a book on a kindle but now there are apps that if you have a library card you can you know, check out a digital book or an audio book. Like people yeah. pay, pay for, you know, audible, whereas you could check out an audio book on your phone, you know, using a library app for free. Yeah. I mean, what people don't, don't see about libraries and like the American library association is that uh, it stems into a lot of different areas. One of them being politics. Mm -hmm. I mean, our current administration seems to, you know, be be passionate about learning and about books, whereas our previous administration had no interest in it at all. Mm -hmm. And um, so therefore, there needs to be lobbyists. And like, I hate the concept of a lobbyist. But in this regard, it makes a lot of sense. There are so many small libraries that can't afford to send someone to Congress to go talk to somebody. So a lobbyist would help them get their points across. And the American Library Association provides that. And it's, it's, it's very interesting how much it ties into everything. Right. Also, you know, member libraries, it's that connectivity, like, you know, uh, being able to do book loans or even digital loans, like, because not every library is going to be able to afford to have all the books you're looking for. But if they're connected in this network, then one of the libraries they're connected to might have that book for you. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's very interesting. And I think, you know, uh, libraries are, I don't want to use the word socialist because some people use that negatively, um, but they're a program. They're programs that are meant to bring enrichment and culture to people that might not be able to get those things uh, if they had to pay for it. Well, you know, what was funny is when I was uh, applying for the job and looking up, you know, what the ALA was and what they did, uh, I came across some some pretty interesting things about the FBI and the CIA going to them and saying, hey, we want you to tell us when these certain Muslim people come into the library and check out these books. Wow. And they refused. Right. Because it is everyone's right to be able to learn. It is a right that we have. If you want it, it's there. And that's where you need libraries. That's, it, and that's a beautiful thing. I, I, 
So that's kind of why I wanted to bring that up because I, I know it's not necessarily on topic with what we've talked about this entire time, but it's also something that involves the arts and I think is uh, an important thing. And so, uh, you know, the fact that you work for, for, for such an organization, I had to, I had to bring that up. Yeah. I, I really love working where I, where, where I do. In fact, you know, if I became a millionaire today, I would be sad that I wouldn't be able to work for the ALA anymore. Just I mean, because I couldn't, I couldn't wake up at that time in the morning and I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't work eight hours a day, you know? I was going to say, I mean, you could still technically keep the job. If you want. No, I can't. I can't. No. I, as a person that does not wake up in the morning, I, I get it. I really do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think on that note, we'll probably wrap things up a little bit here, but um, Patrick Harrington, thank you so much for joining us. Um, where can people find you social media wise, website wise, whatever. So on all social media, we are ghostly podcast. You just put that in the search bar and you'll find us. Uh, if you want to download an episode of ghostly, it is just called ghostly. We weren't able to um, secure the, the word ghostly on all social media, or we would have. Okay. So ghostly podcast on social media to download a podcast on any platform, it would be ghostly. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you to all of you that are listening to this. Um, if you're listening and you enjoy the show, please follow us, rate us, review us. We need those numbers that helps give other people perspective on what they're about to listen to or if they should listen to it. So please give us a rate and review and give us a follow because then you'll know when the next episode comes out. Um, also, just so you know, Sites Studio Arts, the organization that puts out Connected, is on social media uh, everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I, I believe we have a TikTok now. I don't know. Uh, much about TikTok, so don't ask me about that. But we we do have a TikTok now as well. Or you can visit our website at sitesreestudioarts.org. We are a nonprofit, so if you're like, hey, I want to help support the arts, you could always con consider donating. You can do that right on the website. Um, and keep in mind, you can listen to a new episode of Connected every Wednesday. So this will be out on a Wednesday, and the next one will be out on Wednesday, and the one after that will be out on a Wednesday. Uh, so keep that in mind. Thank you again for listening. Thank you again, Pat. Uh, have a great rest of your day. Connected is a Side Street Studio Arts production. Music by Tanner Melvin. Produced by Nick Mataragas. To find out more about Connected and all the great things Side Street Studio Arts offers, please visit sidestreetstudioarts.org.